Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Postmancier. Just a quick reminder before we get started, this podcast is 100% listener-supported. I will never run ads on it, uh, except occasionally telling you about one of my shows or other projects. So if you'd like to help support this podcast, you can head over to patreon.com slash strangelywritesbooks, or you can check out www.strangelyandfriends.com. I hope you enjoy this chapter, and without further ado, let's get into the chapter. Boschmancier a novel by Strangely Duisburg, read by the author, Chapter 16, Two Letters to K. October 9th. Dear K, I hope this letter finds you well and in good spirits. I am writing from Oscar's passenger seat. Pelican is driving and these roads are ever so terrible. So please, be a darling and excuse my terribly quality of my penworkship. Between the constant ruts in the road and Pelican's seeming innate desire to hit every single pothole and then giggle as everything in the cab is tossed about, it's a wonder that I am able to put any words to papers at all. It was raining when I woke up this morning. I lay for a little while listening to the rain falling on the roof of my tent, dreading crawling out of my warm nest and dealing with packing up in the rain. This is one of my favorite places in the world to be lying in a warm, cozy little nest, knowing that everything outside your little place is awful and terrible, and yet, just for a moment, you can be warm and delightful. Sometimes I think I should invest in a little trailer or camper truck like some of the others use. But, to be honest, I like my tent too much. The canvas has such a comforting smell. And I'll be damned if the workings Amelia put into it don't seem to be keeping it dry inside, even in the rain. Which, I guess is welcome, after so many dry days. It would be so much better if I wasn't alone, though. Especially today. We buried Chandra last night. It was a wonderful thing. We laid him in a little boat and then placed his fiddle in his hands and doused the whole kitten caboodle in some of Emery's boomstick moonshine. We pushed the little vessel out into the small river, and then Zoe set the whole thing on fire by shooting at it with her bow. From somewhere out in the woods came the sounds of dozens of instruments being played. I don't know how so many of the traveling folk knew he had died, but they did, and they gathered in their dribs and drabs and played their sad, sad songs till late into the night, until the clouds swallowed the moon and the whole world went dark. As I drunkenly stumbled to my tent, Zoe pulled me aside. It's going to rain. Best put your box in the trucks. I don't remember anything after that, but I expect I took her advice, as I eventually found Lenore safe in the back of the rooster palace when I finally clambered out of my tent and had packed up my things. Everybody was dashing about in absolute panic, as most of them had not received a warning about the rain. Equipment was laying all over the place in the wake of the wake. Clayton was sprawled across a log in the center of camp, still asleep despite the rain. I swear, that man could sleep through anything. He seems to have no regard for temperature or moisture. I've seen him go swimming in rivers flowing with chunks of ice and go running up and down sand dunes and deserts where the heat would kill most people. And yet, he can't seem to remember to feed himself most days. 
let alone put a full sentence together. We'd already taken the Spiegel down and gave it to Caterpillar, so at least we didn't have to do that in the rain. But Amelia's delicate paper umbrellas had been spread out around her tent, and most of them looked destroyed beyond repair. It seems she cannot catch a break. Something is always going wrong for her in her life. Sometimes it almost looks as though there is a little Eoric cloud floating above her head. I managed to help everyone get things loaded and our little caravan rumbled into motion. It's always one of my favorite things, watching everyone pull out of a campsite and out onto the road, even on a misty, drizzling day like this. There is a joy to this sort of thing. Rather like watching a herd of dinosaurs grumbling to their feet and tromping off on a long journey. As always, Oscar was the last to swing out of the camper ground and out onto the main track. Just as we were about to leave, a slim figure emerged from the misty woods, dashing after us. She seems to be one of the traveling folk who come to attend Chandra's funerarium. She was drenched, and after accepting our offer of a ride to the next town informed us that she had slept in a tree because some of the folks in the woods had been a bit too hungry. She elaborated no further and soon fell asleep, leaning against Pelican. He doesn't seem to mind. In fact, she's still leaning there now as I write this. Bundled up as she is, I can just see a glimpse of some intricate tattoo work winding up the sides of her neck and up into her hairline. She has a single line tattooed across her right cheek, directly underneath her eye. At the end of the line is a tiny circle with a dent in it. I fancy myself someone who travels light, with just my box, tent, bedroll, and small rucksack, but she seems to have nothing but the clothes on her back and a single satchel not much bigger than a purse. Just before she fell asleep, she asked if we wouldn't mind having the radio off something I would never dare presume to request. Pelican happily obliged, and shortly thereafter, she dozed off. She seems exhaust. She pulled her boots off, and though her feet do not smell, the boots had quite a bit of sand in them, which is now scattered all over Oscar's running boards. I don't think I have much else to write to you today. I hope you are warm and dry and safe. Keep your chin up and I'll try to do the same. I hope I get to hear from you soon. All my warmest. S. Kells reads the letter twice, not quite sure what to make of it. She is certain the letter is a fantasy, and yet... The language is odd, words being used in such a strange fashion as to seem a dialect, though she can gather a few things. The writer is a member of a traveling circus of sorts, made plain by the mention of a spiegel, or spiegel tent. Circus folk, wandering performers, like Eleanor, perhaps, she wonders with a thrill. Like her? More curious still are the casual mentions of the traveling folk, who were not members of the circus in question. Some of the language in the description of tattooed faces brings to mind a few of the dirtier itinerant jugglers she's met over the years. But a fiery funeral in a river? The letter almost reads like a work of fiction, but something about its handmade nature gives her pause. 
with the sight of an animate mouse full of buttons and sand so fresh in her mind, this is not too difficult to believe. Now, more interested than ever, she opens the second letter, postmarked some three years later. March 19th. Dear Kay, everything is so topsy. I don't even know if I will ever get a chance to deliver this to you. I woke up lying face down on a deserted beach with no idea where I am. Night wasn't too far off, so I moved to higher ground and sort of huddled in the lee of a sand dune. I tried to find some wood, a few sticks, anything. I would have been grateful for a fire. Fortunately, there is some light in the sky. Perhaps the moon? Which is the light I am using to write to you. At present, my resources are the clothes I am wearing, my notebook, two pens, three envelopes, my packet of cigarettes, lighter, and my bowler hat. My identifying documents and wallet are missing, to say nothing of my box and rucksack. I have no idea where they went. Thank the stars that I have Chandra's old coat. Remember how hesitant I was to take it when it was behinded to me? I'm so lucky for the warmth it holds. I wish I could remember what happened that I ended up here. In the hopes that it will jog my memory somewhat, I will tell you about the last things I remember. At the end of my last, I think I mentioned to you that I had heard from some of my old friends from the circus had found each other again and started a troop in Tucson. It was my plan to travel there and find them, perhaps join up and continue performing. I'd made it as far as the meadows, not the big one with all the gambling, but the tiny one farther south. I arrived in town late in the afternoon and found a tiny grocery with tasty food for fair prices. I set up shop outside and met some nice people. They took me out to dinner, and I thrilled them with stories of my adventures. The exploding locomotive was especially well-received. I hadn't thought of that in a while. I wonder if they ever found all the pieces? They ended up letting me sleep in their spare room for the night, and I was out the door by dawn the next morning. I went out to the roadside and held up my sign. I was out there for a few hours, and then... And then... That's all I can remember. I have vague memories of holding up my sign and... Hoping for a ride. Perhaps talking to someone? I think it was Theo. Why was Theo there? I've not seen him in ages. But it's all muddled, as if I was blotto. Or perhaps slowly falling asleep. For some reason, this reminds me of Sue. Which is interesting. As I've not thought of her in months either. So, now, here I am. Out where some huge desert meets an ocean under one of the oddest skies I've ever seen. I know that I'm far from the meadows because that town sits up in the high scrublands of the rocky, and this is definitely the beach of an ocean. The salt is palpable, and there are whales out to sea. From the top of this little hill where I've huddled myself, there is not a single light visible in any direction. For all I know, I'm on another planet. Other than being terribly thirsty, it's quite nice. I'm going to curl up and try to get some sleep. What has happened? Did someone do this to me? I don't feel in any danger. 
with the exception of the fact that I am lost out in an unfamiliar desert. But don't worry. I'm sure I'll figure it out. Water, water everywhere, huh? Good night for now. I woke up cold and stiff from my night sleeping on the cold sand of this little depression in the side of a hill. I must have hallucinated the ocean. This is definitely a desert. Cacti stretch away into the distance. The first streaks of dawn were just wisping out on the horizon. Figuring it was going to get very, very hot outside, I decided to get moving and rest later on. Which is where I am now, huddled in the shade of the dune in the history of ever. I had thought I'd lost Lenore when I woke up on the beach last night. But she's here now, as is my rucksack. I am so damn thirsty it is making crazy, but writing seems to be helping me focus a bit. I decided to walk in this direction because as I stood on the top of the hill looking toward the rising sun just ing over the horizon, I thought I saw moving far away this here. There is mices here. I don't think I will last much. Better time to get moving on. This is like an evil postcard. I think I am dead. I don't know Hoi much farther. I can see the little beetles. Tiny beetles. The sand is inside the monsters. Stop and move more. I stepped on a griddle, and the giant bug yelled at me like a trumpet. I am aided by the bug. The bug's tummy says I have to stop writing now. Bye, thanks. I don't know how much later. I am so weak and tired. Apparently, they found me sitting on a lonely stretch of highway somewhere out in the desert, clutching my notebook and writing in it. I was taken to a small town a few hours away and left in the care of a nice clothman and his wife. They tell me that I survived the walk through the valley of death because the Lord was with me. Although I was pretty sure I was alone, so who knows. I'm resting, and I'm supposed to get better. Don't worry, I will write more soon. Tired and alive, S. Kells reads the second letter slower. The handwriting is even worse than the first one. When she gets near to the end, as the writer becomes less coherent in their ordeal, the writing becomes almost unreadable, but she puzzles it out. A feeling of being dropped into cold water makes her gasp aloud as she reads, The sand is inside the monsters. Something jostles in her mind at the name Theo, but it couldn't be the same as the wandering man who occasionally drinks too much and pronounces doom, could it? She reads the letter again, willing it to give her more information. But there is nothing. In annoyed desperation, she flips through the book she'd originally pulled off the shelf, but there are no more envelopes hidden between its pages. The book is just what it appeared to be, letters of no particular importance, by a writer many have forgotten. The book is a prestige edition, the sort published in small amounts for specialists and collectors. There are no mentions in the pages she scans of deserts, circuses, or mice full of sand. 
The book does have a book plate, however, proclaiming it to be Ex Libris K.E. Well, that's no help, she grumbles, tossing the book onto a nearby cart. She's about to walk away when a thought occurs to her. Martin may know who K.E. is. He buys most of the books himself. On her way back downstairs, she stops by the place where she pulled the book from, only to find that there is no empty space on the shelf anymore. She knows she remembers the spot, the books around it, the funny mark on the carpet where a long-ago customer was careless with a coffee, the flickering ceiling bulb. Though everything around it is the same, there is no gap for the book. The shelf is full of books. She spends a few minutes pulling all of the books in the area off the shelves, searching for more letters, but there are none. Dejected, she returns to the front desk to find Martin, sitting alone, going through a stack of receipts. Now a bit sloshed, he informs her that Eleanor and Adlin have gone to run an errand, bringing back an early supper. The little box has gone. Hello, everyone. Hope you enjoyed chapter 16. The uh, first of those two letters I actually published as a small, like, limited edition thing about two years ago. I had, uh, I sold 20 envelopes with that letter on paper, uh, along with a download code for my current album at the time. And people seemed to really like it. So that was why I decided that uh, Boschmancier would be the novel that I would publish first. And uh, that's kind of how this podcast came about. I did a show one time where I read that letter aloud and people seemed to really like it. So it's just a little behind the scenes trivia kind of thing, I guess. Uh, yeah. Uh, when, when this goes live, I will be actually in the air on my way to Finland for a wedding in a castle. I don't really know much more about it than that other than Two dear friends of mine are getting married, and they rented a castle, which is <laughs> which is kind of crazy. Uh, yeah, as always, uh, you can check out www.strangelyandfriends.com to find out more about me and the other art that I make. You can also head over to patreon.com slash strangelywritesbooks if you'd like to directly support this podcast. I hope this finds you all well, and I will see you next time for Chapter 17, in which Slice is captured.